everybody, this is Eden, and welcome to episode three of Undressing Fashion. We're going to be speaking with our next guest speaker, John Cowell. John is a textile artist who has worked in television, theatre and film for the past four decades. His job is to source and dye material, and so he plays a big part in helping bring beautiful and interesting costumes to life. He began his career with costume design legends such as Sandy Powell and three-time Oscar winner Anthony Powell. And some of his noteworthy films and television series include Gangs of New York, Cinderella, the 2017 edition, The Crown, The Other Berlin Girl, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and Game of Thrones. And his most recent work is Mary Poppins Returns, which is being released this December. Even with such an impressive resume, John says that his greatest achievement has been training future textile artists that have gone on to make it in the industry. Tim Sheenahan of Star Wars and Harry Potter and Steve Gell, who worked on all the Marvel films, are two textile designers who have trained and worked with him. Given that films, theatre and television have an enormous influence on all of us, especially on the fashion industry, we thought it would be interesting to hear from John about the process of textile design and how costume and textile design, fashion and psychology intersect. Hi all, it's Megan here and this is episode 3 of Undressing Fashion and we are here with our guest, John Cowell, who is a textile artist and painter. And we're going to just dive into the interview here. So, John, thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. And we're just going to basically just start with asking you what the process in textile design is. Okay. Well, um, we start, the very basic we start with is dyeing fabric. So these have to be dyeable fabrics. So what actually happens is the buyer will bring you hundreds and hundreds of swatches and you will test them to see whether they dye or not. Because now most designers want to be very specific with their colours. Um, having done that, we might print a fabric, we might, um, we might actually change the texture of a fabric, which um, I did in a film called Gangs of New York. We had a whole series of these very sort of hairy wool costumes come, which were going to be made into trousers, and we actually scraped patterns into them. Uh, from that, we might age it, you know, if you're thinking of Miss Havisham's wedding dress, you know, in, um, uh, I can't even remember what the film is, David Copperfield, uh, it's a dress that she's worn for 40, 50 years, so we actually have to create that illusion. And the other thing we do is we can actually flatter the body of an artist. So, for example, uh, with Lily James in Cinderella, there is one moment, because I was watching it yesterday, where in the ballroom scene, she lifts an arm and you can see her waist is shaded from dark blue to pale blue, which, you know, is it, it's a romantic film, which is why we did it. But it gives her the even though she has a small waist, it even looks yeah. smaller. She had a twenty-three inch waist, an enormous skirt, 
a fichu that made her shoulders look big. But the whole point was we wanted her to look as beautiful as possible. She's Cinderella, for God's sake. Exactly, and Lily James is beautiful to begin with, but I'd really love to learn your techniques in shading my waist. (laughs) (laughs) But another, so I was going to ask you, well, just so you all know, he just came from the screening of Mary Poppins Returns, which is coming out December 19th. Yeah. That was his most recent film. Um, And so I'm just wondering, how do you research to determine the best design process for or well, costumes. Um, what usually happens is we look at lots of different images. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, we look at a lot of different images and we break it all down. So, for example, in Mary Poppins Returns, Emily Blunt's first dress, the carriage ride dress, which is where you can see my work and the work of my team, um, is based on a Tiso, which uh, it was just one of the images that we looked at at the time. Uh, the thing about the Tiso painting was what we were looking at was the back of a dress. And Tiso is a 19th century painter who painted very romantic pictures, usually of group people. He always had a striped dress, which is what we wanted for Mary Poppins. And as I said, we were actually looking at the back of the dress. Now, what actually happened was one of my assistants, who is absolutely brilliant, but not the best painter in the world, interpreted it. So there was a slight naivety to it which I wouldn't have been able to achieve because I've had a, you know, a finer training in art, if you like. And it was one of the pieces when we actually went to fit Emily Blunt, it was one of the pieces that I took up there. I had to select through dozens and dozens and dozens of things that we'd tried to achieve, try, uh, painted and so on. And for some reason, I focused on that one, plus a collar, which was very loosely based on something Gucci was doing at the time. And those were the two pieces were, that were chosen, and it instantly brought to your mind what the dress would look like. Wow, that's really fa- that's really fascinating. But... Another question I had was if you're researching for various roles, so not just Mary Poppins, you can go into any of the movies that you have done. Basically, are you looking at the time period that it's set yes, to I, determine the Yes, costume? you do. But one of the one of the really curious things about what we do is that quite often people are no no longer physically uh, like the period you're looking at. For, so, for example, the 18th century, everybody was very, very narrow-shouldered. Well, people have big shoulders now. You know, people <laughs> go to the gym, they work out, they have bigger bodies. So what actually happens is that you have to create an illusion um, 
because the shape isn't what it's supposed to be. Um, you know, the, the, you know, like uh, as I was saying before, the waist of Lily James. She happened to have a twenty-three inch waist, which we were able to emphasise and make look even smaller. And the whole point is, she has to be the most beautiful person in the ballroom, which she was. She definitely was. Um, if some of you guys did not listen to episode two, we spoke about the psychological theory of enclosed cognition, which just to recap is the influence that clothes has on the wearer's psychological processes. So this means what we wear affects how we think, feel, and behave. And it comes from both the physical experience of wearing the clothes as well as the symbolic meaning. So since, co- I have a question for you, John. So since costume design is a physical manifestation kind of of this theory, do you see the actors and actresses that you dress begin to think, feel, and act according to the costume? Does, does the costume influence them? Um, I think it does. I think the thing is that somebody is, an actor or an actress is, they've got the part, they've learnt the part, the director has given them direction, and what I actually think it is, they need something physical to actually focus on. So, you know, you talk to them, you you deal with them, you um, come up with ideas, you show them things, you, you know, you do sketches, you have mood boards, all sorts of things. And I think there is a point where, for them, it becomes real. And when it becomes real is when they put the clothes actually on. Um, There's a famous quotation um, from the actress Beryl Reed, who, um, you know, was a great British actress, that if the shoes are right, then she knows what her character's character is. The thing about that is, if the shoes are comfortable, Now, one of the things that happens in uh, the film world now is that actors and actresses aren't allowed to wear old shoes, which is ridiculous. And when I worked on World War Z with Brad Pitt, his his most favourite pair of shoes that he had to wear, which was on World War Z, were a pair of old shoes that we just brought in for, to, you know, we'd hired them, we brought them in for him to try them on and then we were going to have to duplicate the shoes. Is it a and hygiene thing or...? I think it's a hygiene thing. It, it You know, it's, it's one of those things that fascinates me because um, on Broadway, when a major show finishes, the clothes and the shoes and everything are destroyed. That doesn't happen over here. What actually happens is they mostly get sold on to hire companies and so on. And before you know it, you know, Liza Minnelli's dress from Cabaret is being worn by, by, you know, some person in, I don't know, Cleethorpes or whatever, where they're doing their version. You know, it's fascinating. That is really fascinating. So... Everything you're saying is really fascinating because honestly, I don't, I, because I'm a tad bit of a cinephile, I definitely love movies. 
Yeah. But I never knew the whole process that went into costume design. Yeah. It's, I can well, see that it's a lot of diligent work and... Yeah. One of the things that most people ask, to ask me is, what happens to the costumes after the um, movie is finished? And the answer is, first of all, they go in embargo. What that actually means is that nobody can touch the clothes until the films come out. Once the films come out, I think I might have told you this before, what actually happens is you negotiate with the um, uh, costume hire people uh, to reduce your bill by allowing them to have the principal costumes, all of which get, I mean, Cinderella's, uh, well, no, not even Cinderella, let's, you know, let's cut to the chase. I think Mary Poppins' costume budget was two and a half million. So, um, you know, there are people who will want to hire um, Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins coat and all of that. And the costume houses will make a fortune out of it. And what actually happens is you agree to a percentage with them to reduce the costs of the hire that you've done. And with Mary Poppins, in actual fact, um, I've been very lucky all my career. We've mostly started from nothing. We've, we've actually made all the clothes. But if you have a big hire bill, it's a way of reducing it by 20, 30, even 50%. So I just wanted to go back to um, what I was talking about in clothes cognition and when they wear the costume, they like mm. embody the character. Do you feel if the costume isn't great, that it's not, you know, because there probably are costumes that just were made by not great um, designers, or does it make a difference? I've watched films where I find the costume so ugly that um, I can't actually focus on the film, but that's because it's my job. And also, uh, there have been costumes where I've sort of thought, well, it's sort of quite inappropriate, really, and so on. So it, it, it does make a difference. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things. As the decades go on, one of the things that really shocks me is that, like, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, there would be... There's a, there's a television series that you can get on Sky, which is The House of Elliot, which is about a couple of sisters who are fashion designers. And when I watched it at the time, I thought the clothes were absolutely hideous. Now when I watch it, I realise how good those clothes were. And that's the thing, as time progresses, you do wonder what costume designers' point of view is about, because so often I see things where I, it's like, that's not 17th century, that's not 18th century, you know, how comes, you know, her her breasts are practically under her chin. What what are we going on about? This isn't what the clothes look like. But I dare say when young people who are starting in design look at what we've done, 
they'll think it was a nonsense for us. Um, which, you know, it's... I mean, things do change, things move on. One, of the, uh, one really interesting thing is that um, I worked on Aviator and um, one of the things that the, the people who were dressing everybody couldn't understand was that, like, 1930s and 40s trousers weren't on the hips. They were actually the waist or even higher than the waist. And when you talk about a waist to somebody, they're not quite sure what you're talking about. And so you have to say the narrowest part of the body. You have to, you have to take the tape measure when you're measuring somebody and move it up and down until you get to the narrowest point of the body. And that is a waist. It's, always at, it's usually at the same place for women. Yeah. 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 Well, I know just from ordering many dresses and going <laughs> to the seamstress and measuring my own waist. But, yeah, no, it is confusing when yeah. you're looking at sizes. Well, and... it, it, it's also... Um, I mean, I'm of a generation that was brought up where um, there was standard sizing. And I've always been extremely lucky that... Um, I fit a certain size. Um, there must be thousands and thousands of people who don't, they fall in between. Yeah, they, absolutely. And people have, people who are the same height and might be the same size still have different proportions. Yeah. So it's very, I don't know, if we could all have custom well, made clothing, it'd be wonderful. Well, I've always said, how do you measure, how do you measure the curve of a back? Because, um, you know, you, there are all sorts of measurements you take when you're making a costume. Um, but how can you possibly measure the curve of a back? What do you do? Drop, drop a line down and then measure in. And what actually happens is, it, really and truly, there have been almost no occasions where I've done something and somebody is there to fit a costume and it fits perfectly the first time even though you've been very specific about the measurements because our bodies aren't you know we aren't straight up and down there are curves all sorts of things and it's one of the things that completely fascinates me which is why you know if you're i mean something like mary poppins or any of the other things i've worked on the actors and actresses will take up to five, six fittings before the clothes actually fit perfectly. And, and do you feel if the costume is really good and the fit is great, that the character will almost, or the actor or actress, will play the role better because they can... I, th I think so. They embody I, the character. Yeah, no, I, I actually think... I actually think once they feel comfortable in what it is they have to wear and what it is they have to do, they can then do their job. Their job is to act. Their job is to create who it is they are supposed to be, who it is they're pretending to be, whatever. Whereas, uh, you know, when it's not right, uh, they're uncomfortable. And one of the things about actors and actresses and singers and dancers and all of that they're they're completely different 
people to the rest of us because a lot of the time what they're actually doing is imitating and uh, I have got my godson is George Mackay he's a young actor he's about to his next movie is Ned Kelly which is about to come out he plays Ned Kelly and one of the things with George is I've noticed he observes people that's that's his job the, the whole costume thing shoes whatever he's very flexible he's perfectly happy to go with it and in a way what we do is we we take all those things away to make him able to focus and do what he wants and that's one of the things you know actors and actresses they come to work they they are picked up by a car early in the morning probably they come to work there's somebody who's been assigned to look after them they look after them they take them to their trailer or whatever they get them their breakfast they're taken to makeup they're taken to hair they're taken to costume and all of this is purely about making sure they can absolutely focus on what it is they have to do which is to act to actually perform so it seems to me like it's kind of a perfect equation of everything so the costume does help it but obviously it's all ha- mostly oh, has mostly has to do it, it's all after. i mean you know i've i've very rarely worked on anything where somebody objects to what we've done um but uh at the same time i can understand that uh if you've got a vision in your head it, you know if you're a young actor or an actress or whatever and you've got a vision in your head and it isn't quite what you think it should be um it must be very disturbing for you I mean, if I go out and let's say I have an event and the outfit doesn't fit or I don't feel I look the way that I intended to, because I usually, before I have like a big event to go to, which um, I guess I just went to the British Fashion Awards, but I haven't in a while had a lot of big events. But when I do go, I have this whole preconceived image that I've thought about for the weeks before. Yeah. And sometimes after my makeup's done or I don't look like that, I'll just Mm. feel disappointed or I'll I'll be trying to fix it to look exactly so I understand well it is a it's it's that thing imagine imagine what a bride feels like on her wedding day if she doesn't feel right and I was thinking about I was thinking about that earlier because um you know I was uh you know my niece got married a couple of years ago and I was there to just make sure that the dress and everything was fine and um, so I was a security blanket and I remember the makeup artist turning up she'd had her hair done the makeup artist turning up and all of that and how long it took and all of that and then when they they went to put the dress on because obviously you know I'm her uncle for God's sake you know so I didn't want to they put the dress on they came running out screaming at me the dress doesn't fit the dress doesn't fit and i just walked in there and got hold of the bodice of the dress 
and just pulled it up a couple of inches and then it all fitted and all, so you know clothes are really important to people and one of the things about it is that they obviously have a vision in their head mm -hmm. of what they're going to look like now my niece wanted to look like how she looked when she had her last fitting for this dress because it was a, a very very beautiful Vera Wang dress and all of that and um, between her and her bridesmaids they couldn't get it to work and all I did was come in and hoik the whole thing up and then it fitted and it was like god's sake you know. I have no plans of getting married yet, but will you come to my wedding? <laughs> of course, I'll come. Jan and I are actually friends. We live right next door to each other. Yeah. So. No, we'll make sure. It wouldn't be that weird. Yes. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask you is someone who creates clothing that defines characters in their emotional yeah. lives. So you're very in tune to their emotions. Yeah. Do you approach clothing in your own life in a similar way? Um, well, actually, I'll tell you now. Now I'm now I'm, I'm getting old. Um, I approach clothing in the, um, is it going to be comfortable? Am I going to be relaxed in it? Um, I'm, a, I'm a terrible one for cashmere at the moment because it's warm and all of that. But um, I, in, in my time, in, you know, if you're, if you're going to a premiere or something like that, I've I've gone out of my way to find something spectacular and so on. Not that it makes, it really makes a huge difference, but um, even if it's a special occasion, you want to feel wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I've got, I mean, I've got a navy blue pinstriped Prada suit, which actually works funerals, weddings, whatever. So I've, I've actually eventually, you know, I've got a, a marvellous, it, it's Tom Ford actually, marvellous Tom Ford Yves Saint Laurent um, dinner suit. So what about it is that if I wear either of these things for the occasions, I know I look good. I know it suits me. I know it flatters me. And, um, yeah, I think... Um, you know, like I said, now I just want to be comfortable most of the time, but uh, I think there's, um, I think it's also being comfortable in yourself. Yes, and you we've know. talked about the power of clothing and how it attracts others to you as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, so there's that, but obviously the most important aspect is to feel good yeah. about yourself. Well, I think, I think so, and also, um, I think. One of the things I think we've said before, one of the things I think is style is not, style's not to do with money. Style is to do with how you put yourself together and so on. So, you I, know, okay. it, I mean, there are, there are students that have come to me to work with me and all of that who are incredibly stylish. And I always say something about it because um, it's like, you know, and they just put a lot of charity shop stuff together and all that but they look great and it's like you know it's it's not about money I 100% <laughs> agree with you in the way that I don't 
I've been told many times by people, well, I don't have the money to afford this. Like I can't, I can't buy a designer outfit or I can't buy those shoes. And I just don't think style has anything to do with designers. High street has so many options. And I just think fashion is what it comes down to is taste. And what it comes down to is I have so many, cause I just graduated from, from fashion school, friends that, who can't afford designers mix it all the time with High Street and H and M and Topshop yeah. and. Well, the other thing is, um, it's how you look after your clothes. And one of the things, ter- terrible thing to tell you. One of the things is that, um, however drunk, or whatever I am when I come home from an event, I always hang my clothes up, perfectly. I always uh, clean my shoes, you know, I make sure my shoes are dry, I'll stuff them with newspaper, and the next day I'll actually polish them. And so how you look after things makes a big difference. Even if you're talking, you know, if we are talking Zara or whatever, it all makes a difference. Um, And I've always had that ability, which, all comes down to when I was a child, you know, a small child, I had an older brother who was four years older than me, and I always had his hand-me-downs. I never had anything new myself, which is why I love fashion, I love um, being well-dressed, and I take care of everything. So, John, do you feel that costumes in these films inform couture in the fashion industry? Because I always see designers pulling ideas from certain centuries and decades. What's your take on that? I think, um, I actually think that uh, the work of a costume designer in theatre, film or television actually does uh, really affect uh, fashion. That's because I think, um, as a fashion designer, you can only have so many ideas. So you go to the theatre, you go to the cinema, you're inspired by something you see and it gives you a, a, a road in which to, to walk, you know. Um, so I think it does has a, have an incredible effect. I think the one thing about it um, is that I don't think it works the other way around. I, well, having said that, that's not true because quite often on the films that I've worked on, we have a lot of fashion images. When we worked on Cinderella, there were dozens and dozens of John Galliano, Dior um, inspired pictures to look at. And uh, we took what we could from them um, and made them our own. But um, yes, I think, um, I mean, I can think of many examples of films that I've worked on where they actually make an impression on fashion designers. And um, uh, Giovanni Versace, Muko, um, oh God, what's her name? The Prada lady. Um, have actually said that things have inspired them that they've seen in the movies. I'm sure if you 
checked out most uh, movie designers, they'd all say the same thing. Yeah, and just a few examples that I know are Catherine Martin, of the costume designer for The Great Gatsby, who inspired um, a Brooks Brothers yeah. suit line um, called the Gatsby line. Trish Somerville for Hunger Games also did, and Roman Holiday, Edith Head, for um, she designed Audrey Hepburn's, yeah. which is basically such an iconic image of like her black dress and her pearls um, from the 1950s, and that has become definitely a look. Absolutely. The little back dress. Yes, exactly. We all need one of those in our closet. Um, so well, Maybe not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. To, to each his own, though, right? Like, if someone wants a little black dress. Okay, so speaking about the underlining meaning of clothing and emotion that goes into, that goes into it all, does psychology have a place in the industry? Um, I was thinking about this um, before, and one of the things is, you know, the bottom line is, it's, it, clothing can make you feel fantastic, clothing can make you feel brilliant, clothing can also make you feel like an idiot, or you've made a mistake, or whatever, and, um, there are trends, and the thing that fascinates me most is that, you know, there are the fashion trends, but I'm thinking about street style, styles that actually ordinary people wear, and it's completely fascinating to me as to how this whole thing develops. You know, what, yeah, I, I mean, we talked about it before, but what... What makes girls want to walk around with a woolly hat and a fur pom-pom on their, their head? You know, what makes girls want to wear, and boys, actually, uh, split-knee jeans? It just looks like, you know... But these, these are fashion trends that actually are outside of fashion. And the thing about them is, it's tribal. They, you know people belong to a tribe you know once once they're wearing one of the fashion ideas it makes them belong so i think psychology and fashion is a completely fascinating and really interesting thing to explore yeah i almost look at it as a, as a perspective on any industry yeah. That we're using a psychological lens to... Yeah. But the other thing is, you've got to think that, um, that you know, if, if you own your own house and you, it's a beautiful house and you've got wonderful art and paintings and all of that, and you've got a beautiful garden and you've got a lovely family, um, that's all, you know, that's all great. But most people don't have all those things. So, the way you express yourself physically could achieve some of those things. Which is why I actually think there's a huge psychological need for fashion. As I said, it's about being part of a tribe, being part of a group, 
being, you know, being able to being able to go to the wine bar and to have the right sort of skirt or or jacket or whatever. It's it's very fascinating and it is why why do people buy into it? It's very expensive. Why do people buy into it? But they buy into it because they want to belong. And just from someone who studied applied psychology and fashion, as so did um, me and the co-host and Aiden, who is in America right now, but she will be commenting after with me. So one thing I would like to say is that most, in regards to trends, most people do find it easier to follow trends as there are so many brands and stores and style blogs that people feel really overwhelmed. And so there's a psychological cognitive bias called a social proof, and it's the influence that the actions and attitudes of the people around us have on our own behavior. So the, so the proof element is the idea that if other people are doing it, it must be correct. And I mm. think many people don't have the confidence to be the trendsetter. That's mm. the world in general, like no, followers slash leaders. And, and that's okay because people might be leaders in one aspect of their life, but with fashion, they're just yeah. they're just like, okay, I trust this one um, fashion influencer or celebrity to like mm. kind of look at their style or one designer and they just or one store and they just follow it. But we were running a little bit low on time, but John, I wanted to thank you because this has been so inspiring to just understand the world of costume design and its influence on the fashion world. Also, your input on the significance of psychology within it all. And thank you so much. Good. Pleasure. That was a really interesting conversation. And we are so lucky and thankful to have spoken with someone with such a wealth of experience working on so many different influential projects. So thank you so much for listening in. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook, our pages Undressing Fashion. So bye for now, and thanks for getting undressed with us.